Keith volunteered me for this, and I was like, oh, okay, thank you. So I'm going to do the best I can. I don't do this a whole lot, but we'll see what happens. I'm just going to talk for a few minutes about um, teaching and preaching, um, which is something my dad does a lot, and I don't do that much. I should probably do more often. But I suppose I'll start off. A teacher is, is someone who basically shares their knowledge or their wisdom with someone um, who doesn't know or someone below them in a way. Um, and I have my notes somewhere in this notebook, but I lost them. So this, I must have switched out notebooks or something. But anyway, we're going to see what happens. All right, so, uh, <laughs> so first of all, I'm going to point out one of the things that I think is, is the biggest issue when it comes to teaching. And, and, and that's, and the stuff I'm going to say, just for clarification, it, it, it's mainly applicable to a preacher, someone who's in, in like a position to teach and preach. But you can also apply it to your life when you're sharing your wisdom and you're sharing your um, advice, when you're giving someone advice or something. So one of the biggest things, and I'm guilty of this, is when someone comes to you and they ask you for advice on something and you don't know the answer, but you don't want to look stupid, and so you make up something, and you, you give them an answer that, of something, you give them something that seems logical and something that seems like it's the right answer, but you don't really know the answer to, to, to what they need. You don't really know what to say to them. And uh, I think one of the most dangerous things is when a pastor gets up in, in, in the podium and uh, does that. And, and starts preaching and teaching on something where, that he doesn't really truly know um, about. And so what, what ends up happening is someone comes to you, and they ask for your advice on something, but you don't know, and you end up telling them something. And because they went to you in the first place, they went to you because they thought that you had the answer, and they thought that you knew. And so you tell them something, and then they take that, and they apply it because they believe that it was the truth. And so they apply it, and then they start thinking about it, and they start... You know, because that's what they believed was the truth, because they thought you had it. And so they end up applying that to their life, and it, it, eventually they're going to find the real truth. And so it's, it's going to confuse them, it's going to mess them up, and then it's going to make them look dumb, and then it's going to make you look dumb. And you could have avoided the whole situation if you had just said, I don't know. So when you get in that situation, you, can, you look at someone and you say, I don't know. I think one of the biggest um, signs of maturity as a pastor or as a teacher, is being able to say, I don't have the answer, but I can find it for you. Um, and that, that's really the key right there. And that's something that I learned from my mom, is if you don't have the answer, you tell them, but you say, I'll find it for you. Because she said that to me before. I've come to her with questions, and she said, you know, I don't have the answer, but I can find it for you. And she'll go, and she'll open every book she has until she finds an answer. So just because you don't know doesn't mean you should just give up. You should go and find the answer or point them in the direction of someone who does know the answer. And that's how you grow, and that's how, you know, growth is kind of important. And so, um, you know, trying to pretend that you know something when you don't is so dangerous because it, it leads people in a wrong direction. You know, a pastor, when they stand up, when my dad stands up here and preaches, he's, he stands accountable for every single thing that he teaches these people. And so it's no different when someone asks you for advice and you give it to them. You stand accountable for that advice that you give them. You know, it's, it's no different. And so you really need to make sure that you know what you know. Like my dad always says, you need to make sure that you know what you're talking about before you 
just spill your guts. And so I think that's, that's a really important point when it comes to teaching and, and, and preaching and just sharing advice in general. But um, so let's see here. So, for instance, if I were to go up to Keith and I were to say, hey, Keith, um, let, for, pretend for a second that I'm the pastor and he doesn't exist and I'm the pastor. And I go up and I, I decide, you know what, I need a vacation and I'm going to go to Keith and I'm going to say, hey, Keith, um, I need you to put together a message for Sunday morning and it's Saturday and I'm going to be gone. You put it together, have fun, be done, goodbye. And Keith sits back. What most people would do in that situation is they would, they would sit down and they would search into their minds and they would think, you know, let's see, what can I talk about? And the first thing that they would do is they would think, well, what am I struggling with? Because people preach and teach most passionately about something that they're going through. So most sermons are actually you teaching on trials and how to, how to come through trials. And so if I were to ask Keith to do that, you know, he would probably go straight because I know he's a mature Christian, you know, so I know if he's, if he's dealing with something like depression, I know that he's going to be watching all the sermons on depression and reading everything in the Bible and all this stuff so that he can know how to overcome it, you know. And so if I were to ask Keith to do that, I know that that would be the first thing that comes to his mind. And so, um, so, Yeah, like I said, so if, if you, you preach and you teach most passionately about the things that you um, are dealing with, but the danger in that is you can only preach up until the point um, where you're at. For instance, if you're, if you're going through depression, you can only teach and, and up to that point, whereas if you had overcome it, you could teach it to the fullest. Now, I'm not saying that you can't teach a message on depression if you have never even gone through depression or had, had to deal with it, you can, you can read the word and you can learn and you can consult people and get the information you need to teach. But it's just not quite the same as if you had gone through it yourself. And so I think it's really important to understand your limit when you're teaching and when you're preaching. Because if you get to that point, like if Keith were to preach on depression, which would be hypothetically something he was going through, He's up, to, he's up to a certain point, so he should only preach to that point. You know what I mean? Because if he goes past that, he's vulnerable to making mistakes because he's not quite there. You know what I mean? And so the wise thing to do if, if he was in that situation would be to not necessarily go straight to preaching on something that he's dealing with, even though you know, you're pumped up on that because that's what you're going through. The wise thing to do would be to preach on something that you have overcome because that, that's, the, that's stuff that you know more about. And I'm going to read Isaiah um, 8.20. It says uh, to the law, and to, you, it says, look into the word, and if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. What that means is if you're teaching and it doesn't line up with the word, for instance, if my dad is preaching and it doesn't line up with the word, it's wrong. And so it's the same as if you give people advice. If someone asks you for advice on something and it doesn't line up with the word, it's wrong, which is why it's so important to pay attention to what your pastor is saying because it could be wrong. If you, you're listening to a sermon and um, something just doesn't feel right and then you, you look into the word and you see what the word says and it doesn't line up to what the pastor says, he missed something. And that's really important. And that goes back to the importance of knowing your word. And so um, 
So it's just important to know what you know, and, and because the word is your sword. And this world, you go through trials all the time. You know, having God doesn't take away your trials. It just, having God gives you the Holy Spirit, and it gives you the Bible, which makes it easier to fight through trials, and it makes you see them in a different light. But if, if you don't know how to use the word, if you don't have the word that's inside of you, which is the sword, how are you going to fight through trials? And your pastor is trying to teach you how to use the word and teach you how to use the sword so that you can fight through these trials. So you better know the word or else you're going to be in a lot of trouble because you'll get to this point. You'll get to a point in your life when you are growing through something and you don't know what to do. And then you'll think back and you'll think, you know, I probably should have listened to my pastor when he was preaching on this stuff. Because when people aren't dealing with what the pastor's teaching, they tend not to listen. Because, you know, they're not worried about it. You know, I'm not dealing with depression, so why would I listen to my pastor preach about depression? You know, you need to know the word and know everything that's in it so that you can be prepared. But making sure that your pastor, you have to trust that your pastor knows what he's talking about. When you're teaching and when you're preaching, when you're standing in that, in, in that pulpit in a place where you are leading people, you need to know what you're talking about. You need to know what you're preaching you know, and I'm, I'm by no means a, an amazing speaker or preacher, not quite as good as my dad, but um, I know some things, you know, and I've learned some things. And um, that's such a wise, you know. <laughs> so it's just really important to know what you know. So if I, I was thinking about this earlier when I was putting this together, like if you came up to me, someone came up to me one time and um, they were like, hypothetically speaking, just, just for clarification, this person was not married. But they were like, hypothetically speaking, um, if a married couple came up to you and asked you, they were like, hey, hey, we're dealing with this and this, um, what would you say? And I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, let me see. And then I came to this realization, this important realization, and I was like, you know, I've never been married. So I probably am not the most qualified to give advice on marriage. I've never been married. I mean, I know a thing or two, you know, but I've never really been married. So, I mean, I'm not very qualified to give marriage advice. And so my first thing would be, well, I'm not really 100% qualified to give you advice on your marriage. Um, and so I would turn you to someone else, of course. And so that just, that just made me think of knowing what you know and, and knowing what you can give, you know what I mean? Knowing what you can share, um, if someone came up to me and asked for advice about playing on stage, I mean, we can throw down. I mean, I could tell you a lot of stuff. But I don't know that much about marriage because I've never been married. So um, knowing your, your limits and knowing your, your, like, boundaries to information that you can give is really important because you'll end up giving someone false information, which is really, really dangerous. And uh, so... You know, teaching and, and being up in he, being in the pulpit and being a pastor like my dad, it's such a big privilege because he gets to lead all of y'all, and he's trying to to help y'all better understand the word so that you can live a better life. You know what I mean? And it's important to listen to everything that he says because at some point it's going to come around and you're going to need it. You know, there's no point in sitting in a sermon you know, that my dad preaches about depression, for instance, and then walking up after saying, oh my gosh, I'm just, my depression won't go away, blah, blah, blah. And then my dad would turn around and say, well, what are you doing to, to 
combat that depression? You know, what are you doing to fight that? And you need to take the stuff that someone teaches you and take the stuff that someone preaches you and you actually apply it. You know, where would we be if we actually applied the stuff that we heard and actually applied the stuff that we learned? You know what I mean? And as a teacher, a preacher, and even someone sharing their advice, you know, you're helping that person come a step forward. You're giving that person advice that you know is, is right, biblically, and you're helping them grow. And you're helping them, you know, become wiser. And you might have to repeat it, you know. You might have to grow. You might have to do it over and over for them to get it. I know my dad have, has, has taught or said many things, has said a couple of things over and over and over. And he's always like, oh, I know I say this every single week. But he's, he's getting it in you. He's like, he's, he's pushing it into your head so that, so that it pops in your mind. That's how, this, that's how the word should be. Because like I said, you're, we're fighting a battle. You know what I mean? We're fighting. Trials are going to come and knowing how to, how, to, how to take care of them, knowing how to use the sword is important. And so teaching and preaching and being in a position where you're trying to aid someone along and, and uh, help them grow and teach them, it, it's, it's a very, um, what's the word? It's, it's a unique situation, and it's something that you shouldn't take lightly, even, even small stuff, because when someone asks for your opinion, you know, or asks for your advice on something, um, that will reflect on you at some point, um, because it will either benefit them, if you know what you're talking about, or if you're just trying to be prideful and just say something even though you don't understand what you're talking about, um, one way or another it's going to turn back around on you, and it's, it's eventually just going to, you know, show and of course you're going to be held accountable to God you know you don't want to you don't want to get to heaven one day and God say why in the world did you tell them to do that you know what I mean especially as a pastor or a teacher someone leading a small group you're leading a group you're leading a group of people and a large group of people and they're all looking at you and they're all you know listening to you and you don't want God to say why were you teaching them that you need to know what you're teaching and know what you're preaching and know that it lines up with the word you know, Isaiah 8.20 was kind of inspired this whole thing because that's really, really important. And just in general, just in life in general, you need to know what you're talking about. And if you don't know what you're talking about, be mature enough to say that you don't know and then be mature enough to humble yourself so that you can learn. You know what I mean? But most importantly, get the word in you because it's a sword and there's no other way to fight this battle, you know? So... If you're a teacher, make sure that your wisdom and your, your, um, your advice and your teachings and your sermons and, or whatever uh, line up with the word. And if you don't know what you're talking about, be, be willing to admit it and be willing to ask someone. Be willing to consult someone and be willing to go to someone to, to further your understanding of, of what you're talking about. So that's it. Good job. Okay, there it is. All right. Um, hello, good evening. Who is very confident in their geography? Anybody? Lexi, come here. Yeah, you are? Okay. All right. Is this laser? Okay, here's a laser pointer. Just your red button. 
Okay. Now, can you please point and circle the United States of America? The red button. There you go. Okay, good job. Can you find Israel where the Bible is all about? There it is, that tiny red country. Okay, where is China? Orange. The biggest. Yeah, that one, the big country. And where is Japan? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, that's okay. It. okay. Good job. She got one out of. <laughs> okay, who knew all those places? Okay, 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 good, good. I thought you would. Okay, um, today we are going to learn some Chinese. Who's excited about learning Chinese? Good, fantastic. Okay, so. I am not an expert on Chinese, but I did grow up in Japan and went to elementary school in Japan. So Chinese is the oldest. Go back to the map. So China, oh, here we go. There it is. Okay. China has the oldest written language that is still being used today. Okay. It is 4,500 years old. And the Chinese language, the written language, came to Japan around 300 um, to 700 AD. And in Japan and China and other countries around there, like Korea, still use the Chinese writing system today. Therefore, I know a little bit about Chinese. In first grade, I learned 50 letters of the Japanese phonetic alphabet, 50 letters of the Japanese the other alphabet, and then um, 80 Chinese characters. That was first grade. So, and it builds from that. So, anyway, you can read a newspaper after you learn about 3,000 to 5,000 Chinese. But it builds, so it's not as awful as you think. So, anyway, I know a little bit about it, but this presentation was not made by me. I'm totally borrowing it and using my knowledge and the wisdom of the person who put it together. Okay. So you can go back to the beginning. Okay. The purpose I'm sharing this with you is to, number one, um, uh, get you excited about the Word of God and how real it is. Um, there are a lot of religious books out there, but this is the real deal, and I just want you to get fired up about that. Another reason is... Um, I just want to encourage you about just awesomeness of God. Even if you already know this information I'm going to share, or it's completely new, I just want you to be in awe of God and, um, from this. Okay, so the story of Genesis in Chinese characters. Can you go to the next slide? The Chinese language is the oldest continuous written language. It's... Um, began 4,500 years ago, like I already said. They drew pictures to express words or ideas. Some simple pictures were combined to make more complex thoughts. 
This lesson is based on the traditional Chinese characters. Okay, stop real quick. The basic letters, there's 214 of them. And they combine those letters to make pictures to make other words. Okay. All right. So this is an example. Uh, the first letter is mouth. Second letter is man. And you put them together. That's older brother. Okay? So, so the 214 original letters would be like mouth and man. Okay? Next one. Okay, so this slideshow is taken by a man who read this book. Um, I read parts of this book. I didn't finish the book. Um, and um, the man who made the PowerPoint based on this book shared it online. That's so I could share. I'm not stealing, just so you know. It was on SlideShare. Okay, so this book, if you're interested in knowing more about what I have to share tonight and get more fired up about God, what God did or is doing, um, I recommend you to read this. Okay, let's go. So, like I said, the Chinese language was written 2,500 B.C. 1,500 B.C. were the first five books of the Bible written. So the Chinese language came first. And then 600 B.C. is Buddha. And then death of Jesus, 30 A.D. And then we're at 2019 today. Shangdi is the heavenly father of the Chinese. Let's see, what's the actual word? Heavenly ruler is what Shangdi means. And it's the name that they also use for God for today. So if you can see the green arrow, they believed in Shangdi. And they worshipped him. They gave bull sacrifices to him every year. And he was the creator God. And in his writings, the beginning is very similar to Genesis 1-1. It's very interesting. But you can read the book and find that out. Now, Shandi, the emperor's worship of Shandi was mixed with lots of other things. Okay? So it wasn't like they were 100% just worshiping him. There was a lot of other pagan things going on. But there was this god named Shandi. Okay? And then Buddha came. Chinese went to Buddha, and then Christianity came back. Christianity died, as you can see, and then um, Christianity came back. Who knows the awesome stuff going on in China right now? Yes, God is doing some powerful, amazing things in China in their underground church right now. That is a whole other story. Um, so um, they are really fired up over there. Um, so um, let's just go. You can read the book if you want to know more. Okay, so this is a map of the different religions all over the world. So Christianity is blue. Um, I don't know. I can't read that really well. So this is just a map to show the different kinds of religions in the world. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so the Bible, people think, people all over the world think that the Bible is a Western book, but it's totally not. We know that, but they don't know that. Next one. It was originally written in Hebrew and Greek, not English. So um, from a missions perspective, people think that the Bible is a white man's book, but it's totally not. Um, next one. The first writers were from Egypt and Babylon. Moses was from Egypt, and then Daniel? I don't know. Sorry. Next slide. 
The first five groups were written by Moses, an adopted son of the king of Egypt, 1500 BC. The first five books focus on the beginning of the nation of Israel. But first 11 chapters record the history that all nations share. Do you guys remember what happened in Genesis 11? Tower of Babel. Until then, so the creation, Cain and Abel, Noah, and Tower of Babel. The entire world shared that history. And then what happened that Tower of Babel? Yes, we got the language was confused and the peoples were dispersed. Okay, so until chapter 11, all nations share the same history. This is very important. Input, input. Okay, um, if you want to follow, you can open your Bible. We're going to go Genesis 1, 2. We're not going to finish to 11 because that's 76 slides. But um, okay, let's go through this. Okay, the creation of man. Then Jehovah God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Dust breathe living being. Dust breathe alive to talk. This is the Chinese character to talk. Let's go to the next one. To talk plus walking equals to create. Did you catch that? Okay. Alive plus dust plus land equals first. God plus one plus man plus garden equals happiness. Okay. Did we miss some slides? No? Okay. I'm going to stop here. Maybe it was another slideshow that I saw this. Okay, so the creators of the Chinese language were very, very aware of the creation story, very aware of the flood, and very aware of the Tower of Babel. And they used those stories to create their language. Okay. All right, let's continue. The garden. And Jehovah God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Garden, east, man. Okay, so... The Bible was written by who? The first Genesis. Moses, where was he from? Egypt. So he was in Egypt, and then he was in the Sinai Peninsula wandering around. Okay. He never made it to Israel. So the east is going this way. But the Chinese characters were written in China. So when they talk about the creation story, they say west. Does that make sense? Okay. Geography? Okay. Let's go. One person enclosure or garden west. Next one. 
the creation of woman. You can continue. Then Jehovah, the Jehovah God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. One person enclosure, West, we already did this. West plus woman to want, to desire, necessary. Two plus people equals beginning first. Next, the woman and the forbidden fruit. And Jehovah God planted a garden in Eden. Out of the ground, Jehovah God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Jehovah God commanded the man, you may freely eat out of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you will eat of it, you shall die. Sorry. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Good for food, desire. Two trees plus woman equals to covet or to desire. Life or motion plus secret, private, plus garden, plus man equals devil, Satan. Two trees plus cover plus devil equals tempter. Okay, I'm going to stop there. That was slide 45. Okay, there's more. Isn't that crazy? That is the story of Genesis in the Chinese language. Next time you meet a Chinese person, (laughs) that is a very interesting conversation. They are atheists. Yeah, you can talk about Shangdi and the Chinese characters. Okay, so um, anyway, today I just wanted to introduce you to that idea that the Bible, the story of the Bible was shared by all these cultures. And this is just one culture. There's many more cultures where these stories are shared. Almost every culture has a flood story. Yeah. So, anyway, um, and to think of those characters, the, do, you, do you feel the power in those characters? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Finally, I want to share with you my absolute favorite Chinese character. Now, it's my absolutely favorite Chinese character, but the video I found to introduce it was uh, made by this quirky guy named Sonny. He's a Chinese man that loves to introduce these characters in a, on a YouTube channel that he has, and he's really silly and goofy. But this is my absolute favorite, so please enjoy. Isn't that amazing? Righteousness? The sheep, the lamb of God, is covering us us a broken people, a person holding a weapon. We are broken. We are sinners. But because of the lamb is over us, we are called righteousness. That's all I have. So, yeah, one of the people that were freaking out about it was me. That was really cool. I was like, I don't normally like different languages, but this was really neat. Yeah, that was super cool.
Gosh, I thought they saved the best for last, but y'all, y'all killed it. That was cool. <laughs> so I'm going to do my normal dive kind of thing, right? So y'all know the, the um, weird Christmas story of Jesus being born. We've all read it a million times, right? Where's Lexi at? She knows this one. Yeah, she's out there somewhere. So, oh, hi, Lexi. So, we all know the Christmas story. We kind of grew up with it in church, and it's kind of hard for me to get um, kind of into it a whole lot because whenever I read a story, I like to find someone I can relate to, right? So, I try to relate to Joseph, but I can't because I've got Pookie Bear here that, I mean, that's it, you know, she didn't like Mary, who's been immaculately concepted, whereas I can't really, you know, relate to Mary because, well, I'm a guy, so that kind of makes things a little difficult. So I'm like, okay, well, who can I relate to? And I was reading through and reading through, and I thought, you know, kind of an everyday man to relate to would be the shepherds. So we're going to go look at it real quick in Luke 2, 8 through 20. And I'm going to just skim through it, and then we'll start break it down some. So Luke 2, 8 through 20, and, the shep- and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the first thing I want to kind of see is, yeah, the shepherds are like us. I kind of picture the story as if this was nowadays, the shepherds would be like those guys working at Taco Bell off of Gay Street at night shift with all the crazy college students being the wolves and their tacos being the sheep. They're trying to protect them. So that's kind of how I picture it is this is just normal kids. Like David was a shepherd and he was just a kid. These are just probably maybe late teenage kids doing their night shift job. So when I was looking at it, I said, okay, I can kind of relate to that having worked in these positions before. I mean, I worked as a care tech on the seventh floor at the hospital. And something amazing happened that night. And you know what's funny is this happened on their night shift and something amazing happened on my night shift. I think God just works on night shift. I don't know. (laughs) Right? But uh, so... I was a care tech on there, and I think I only worked it a whole year, but that was the most blessed I ever felt from a job. I think God showed up the most in that job, and I've been a nurse for seven-plus years, and I say that because almost every night I showed up, God showed up in some form or fashion. I remember distinctly this cute little old lady that I got to take care of, and I got talking with her because I like talking to my patients. I just... 
kind of my thing. And uh, I got to know her, and she said, hey, so what do you want to do when you're in school? You're going to be a nurse, right? I said, yeah, I'm going to be a nurse. She said, oh, well, God's going to bless you, and you're going to be an amazing nurse. She prayed with me, and I've never had a patient pray with me as a nurse or before or since then. So first thing that I noticed is even though these are normal guys and even though we're kind of just normal people, that's how God likes to work. He likes to find us normal people and come into our lives and make this huge movement. So if you don't feel like, well, I'm not worth it or, you know, I'm not important enough for God. Well, if you're thinking that, you are the person God really wants to use. Not these big, big wig people. I mean, yeah, they use, in the Bible they use David and they use Solomon, but David started off lowly, and that's where God found him and grew him to that position. And God can do the same to us, in our, not just in this world, but spiritually as well. So looking through, it says when the angels showed up, these guys were terrified. Now, I have a theory why they were scared, and this may just be out of my weird brain, but, okay, bear with me here. Shepherds, they take care of animals. You want to know who else takes care of animals? Farmers. You know what farmers are? Rednecks. They thought they were about to get abducted by aliens. (laughs) Fan theory, I don't know if that's true, but, I mean, really, honestly, if we were to see something crazy like that show up, we're going to be like, what in the world's going on? But that's the thing, is when God shows up in our lives, and starts making changes, it gets scary. I mean, when I got married, I was nervous. I mean, I dated the girl for years, and I still didn't feel 100% ready. I didn't have a textbook of, you know, marriage 101. I didn't get that. So I was a little scared, but I knew that God had this planned out, and I knew she was the one for me, so you know what I did? I went all in. And you want to know what? It's been the best. My, I've had the best life since then because I trusted God in a situation. I had no idea what the outcome was. And that's how we need to be is when this crazy life starts stirring things up and we have no idea what's going to go on, we have to go lean in on God and watch and just wait and see how he turns up. So moving forward, these angels showed up, right? And then they left. And so after they left, these shepherds kind of came together and were like, hey, let's, let's go to this Bethlehem place. Let's go check out this Jesus thing. Now, if, think about it. If you were at work, working night shift, and you told your boss, hey, I'm going to go leave and go find this Messiah baby, deuces, yeah, you're fired. So that's kind of what these guys did. They left their sheep out just hanging out in the middle of this area where they could have been attacked and taken out. And they just went, and they went to go find Jesus. Well, I'm not going to tell you to go quit your job and be like, I'm going to go find Jesus and just start walking down the street. You're not going to have a good time if you do that. But what I'm saying is when there is something big that God shows up in your life, don't let the little sheep, the little things of this world hold you back from the promises he has set up for you. So when you see these little things come up like, well, I don't know about, you know, the money with it, or, well, what if my car doesn't make this long drive to this job interview that's states away? Look, those are little earthly problems. If 
don't worry about it. Don't let these worries and these things in this world hold you back from what God has in store for your life. So when these little thoughts and these little sheep come popping through your head, don't let them be that weight that holds you back from the good things that God has in store for you. So they went and ran off, and they found Mary and Joseph. And they were telling them all what they saw. They said, look, I saw these super cool angels. I saw all this stuff happening. And you know what's interesting is Mary, the mother of Jesus, it says in verse 19, treasured those things and pondered them in her heart. And so when we go and we follow what God has in store for us and the things that he has planned for us, when we start taking those steps towards what he has in our life planned, what your walk is and the things you're doing, kind of like how Hamp was talking where we're up here and we're spreading what God has put on our hearts. When you go out and you do your walk, that is part of your testimony. People are watching you when you go and do that. I mean, I, when I'm back there with the kids, they, yeah, they li- kind of listen to me. I mean, sometimes I have to corral them back a little bit. But they listen and they watch you. And it's amazing the little things that they pick up. I mean, I, w- I did the same thing with my dad. I go throughout the day and then somewhere out of left field, Becca's like, okay, Eric, my dad. And I just pick up these little habits that he did because... You're always watching them. There's these people that you see making these big moves and these big changes in their life because God's doing these big things. You see that, and you're like, okay, why are they like that? And people watch you in that walk. So when you're doing your walk, just know, yes, you're being watched, but also know that's part of your testimony that you're telling that you might not even know. So all that being said, That was just reading through what the shepherds went through and just what they, I mean, experienced. We may never have this huge angelic host come over us, but just know God has a plan for you. He loves you and he will use you even if you, especially if you think you're not special because you are special to him. You're made in his image. And If you don't think that your life is important enough for God, just look at these teenage kids that they used working out at their version of Taco Bell. And if they can use kids like that, just think of how much more God can use you with the talents and the blessings that you have now. So let me just kind of wrap things up and pray here. So Father, I thank you so much for all these wonderful people being able to kind of share what you have done in their lives and the growth that we've had, God. Everything from being able